We will go ahead and get started. I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right into 1 Peter. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for another beautiful day that we have to gather together as your people. I thank you, Lord, for the freedoms that we have to gather and worship, and I thank you for the comfortable facility that you've given us where we can be in the air conditioning and and just have an easy time to worship you. We know around the world our brothers and sisters in Christ are not often in such ideal circumstances, so I pray that you would help us not take for granted the blessings you've given us. Help us today focus. Help us to be attentive to your word, not just for knowledge, but for application so that we can be holy as you are holy. I pray for the teaching time, Lord, in First Peter and also later in Hebrews, that you'll give me clarity and understanding and, and strength. And I pray that you would use your spirit to help proclaim the word, but also to help apply the word to our hearts. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Normally, if I'm preaching, I don't try and teach, but I was very concerned not to leave us hanging in the middle of the messages that I've been doing on First Peter, and this morning I'm going to be able to complete verse 2. That's rocket speed that I've covered two verses in three weeks. I, I just feel like I'm on a, on a roll right now. So I, it was important to me to be able to finish this little bit of a section before I, um, before I let there be a gap. So if you open your Bibles to First Peter chapter 3, we're continuing our study in what to me is one of the most important aspects of this book for the life of the church. Because as I have unfolded and laid out in more detail at other times, the marriage relationship is the first and primary human relationship that God has ordained. And when Christian husband and wives do not live out their proper roles, when Christian husbands and wives do not reflect marriage as God intended, it has a damaging effect. It has a damaging effect on the church because we don't function as we should, but it also is damaging to our testimony because the world should be seeing something different in our marriages, and quite often they don't. And as we look into First Peter, we're dealing with this section where Peter is not dealing with marriage conceptually as a unit. He's dealing with our specific, practical, shoe-leather, meets-the-ground roles as wives and husbands. And we're dealing first with wives simply because that's the order that the Scripture provides it. Later we will deal with husbands. But in this context, everything is related to us living God-honoring lives. As I've unfolded, all of this is about being holy. Be holy as I am holy. That's First Peter's charge. That's what Peter says. But there's also a reference in First Peter 2.12 where he says, Keep your behavior excellent amongst the Gentiles. Our lives are supposed to be evangelistic. And then he begins to show what excellent behavior looks like. And it involves that word that is so hard for us, submission. He spent time saying that we're supposed to submit to the government. We should be examples in that. And we're supposed to submit to our employers. We're supposed to be examples of that. And he gave the motivation for such counterintuitive behavior because our pride says I'm in charge. And he's telling us submit willingly. And the example is Jesus Christ, of course. Jesus, who was God, 
who had all the power in the universe, willingly submitted himself to horrendous behavior for our ultimate redemption. And Jesus is given as the example. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't utter any threats. He wasn't counterpunching as the attacks were coming at him. He kept him trusting himself to him who judges righteously. In other words, God the Son was content to entrust himself to God the Father. Even to the point of going to the cross. So as we get to this section on wives, it says in the same way there's a context. And so as we begin chapter 3, as I laid it out, it's a very simple outline. These are just marks of a godly wife. So I'm going to read this section, which goes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1, all the way down to verse 6. And then I'm going to summarize what we've taught so far, and then I'm going to finish verse 2 this morning. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word... They may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children, if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. So from this text, over a series of weeks, we're going to be seeing the marks of a godly wife. And the first mark we saw is that she's willing to trust the Lord. Now, I spent a lot of time dealing with that in the same way. There's a sense in which it's dealing with the submission in the same way you're submitting to the government. Submit in the same way that you submit to your employer. Submit. That just has to do with the voluntary, volitional, I'm going to do it not because I'm forced to, but because this is what God wants me to do. But also in the same way encompasses the example of Jesus. Just as Jesus was willing to endure injustice without putting up a fight, without screaming about his rights, without retaliating when he was insulted, he didn't insult back. That's supposed to govern the wise behavior. And Jesus kept him trusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's the ultimate issue for a wife. It's the ultimate issue for everybody, but we're dealing with wives in this portion of the text. In the same way you wives, meaning you have to entrust yourself to God to do any of these things. The second mark is that she's willing to submit to her husband. That is that same word. It's a tough word. Submit. You wives, be submissive to your own husbands. It's not a general command that every woman has to submit to every man. This has to do with married women submitting to their own husbands. Not somebody else's husband, not somebody else's authority. But God ordained that if you're married, you should submit to your husband. Spent a lot of time making clear this isn't isolated. This is found throughout the New Testament. This isn't an anomaly. This isn't one isolated verse that maybe we don't understand the context over and over and over again it's been taught in fact pastor steve had two messages on this very concept from the book of ephesians the idea is the godly wife will willingly place herself under the authority of her husband regardless of his spiritual state and my third point the third mark was she cares about her husband's soul and it has to do with the type of Men that many of these women were married to. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husband so that. 
There's a purpose for this. So that even if, this is possible, some of them had this circumstances, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one. That's the key. They may be one. I went through some various passages that Paul used where he talked about being all things to all people to win some. This idea is just working towards the salvation of an unbelieving spouse. As I clarified in detail when it says disobedient to the word, it's not talking about having sinned in relation to one scripture. The word there is used in the context of the gospel. These are people who are disobedient to the gospel message, meaning they heard the gospel, they rejected the gospel. But the wife doesn't wash her hand of her husband who's an unbeliever. She cares about him. She wants him to be one. That's her ultimate goal. She cares about her husband's soul. She's not excited about the prospect of hell to pay him back for all the misery he caused. She's hurting in her heart because she wants him to come to faith. But this leads to today's teaching where we're going to jump in. And it adds a little bit of a twist to things. But let me just say what the mark is. It's the fourth mark of a godly wife. I'll just read it. And then I'll explain it from the text. First mark, she's willing to trust the Lord. Second, she's willing to submit to her husband. Third, she cares about her husband's soul. Fourth, this is new material. She is willing to let her life be her primary witness. She is willing to let her life be her primary witness. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Now I'm going to say up front that if you Don't think this through in detail. Peter teaches something here that really is very hard. Now, even when you think it through, it's hard. But he says something that seems counterintuitive. So we're going to break it apart to make sure we don't misunderstand what he's saying, and then we're going to look at the hard truths anyway. Again, this is all about the salvation in this context of an unbelieving husband. And Peter describes evangelism in a manner that if we're not careful sounds wrong at first. He says, so that they may be one without a word. Sounds unusual. An unbelieving husband may be one without a word. Why does that seem odd or strange? Because of what the Bible clearly teaches. For example, in Romans chapter 10 verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? A few verses down, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Seems evident that Scripture teaches no one can be saved apart from hearing the word. And yet Peter's saying, so that they may be one without a word. Now I'm going to be up front, and I think you can probably track this. He's not contradicting Paul. And he's not trying to say there's a new way for the gospel to penetrate a heart. The fact remains you have to hear the gospel message in some form. But you've got to remember that Peter's already described these husbands in a very unique way. He described them as disobedient to the word. 
And as I alluded in my introduction, this is very specific. The word has to do with the gospel. It's not a particular verse. Well, he was unkind or he lied. No, the issue is he heard the same gospel message. As I alluded to in more detail in a prior teaching, the image that Peter is picturing here is of a wife and a husband who both heard the gospel and the wife believed and the husband didn't. So when Peter says they may be one without a word, in no way is he contradicting that faith comes by hearing. What he's saying is they've already heard the gospel. That's not what they need now. They've heard that there's only salvation through Jesus Christ. They've actually heard the gospel presented to him. They've just rejected it. So what is Peter's point? It's very clear, I think. He says, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. In other words, the husband in this circumstance, who's an unbeliever, he's heard, articulated the gospel message, he just didn't believe it. What he needs now is a lesson in what it looks like. He doesn't need to be hit over the head with a track stuffed between his sandwich slices and tacked up on every place where he might look during the day. I'm not criticizing those things, but what the scripture is saying is that at this point, what this husband needs is to see his wife living the gospel. He needs to see it in her behavior. Peter is telling us, and it's God moving Peter to tell us, That when it comes to the husband and wife relationship, quite often actions speak louder than words. You know, it's within the confines of a home where pretense is kind of done away with. We can all look pretty good on Sunday morning. We do our hair and we put on clothes and we show up. And people get an external snapshot of what we might be as we sit by our spouse. But... You understand if you've been married for more than three hours (laughs) that when you're alone, you see the worst of each other. Even in a godly Christian marriage, you see the struggles and the trials. So in this context, you've got a situation where an unbelieving husband is living with a believing wife and what Peter is saying is, look, Yes, you're concerned about his soul, but you're going to win him, if at all, through your life. Has the gospel changed you? Do you live differently? Does your life look different? That's the crux of the issue. So what should the unbelieving husband see in his wife? He's supposed to be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Now, chaste here is a word that is often translated as pure or purity. But it has the idea of a wife who is being holy as Christ is holy. Certainly not perfect. There are no perfect people. But someone who's Unbelieving husband could look and say, she's living differently. It certainly would refer to sexual purity, but it goes beyond sexual purity and refers to a purity in every aspect of life. 
As one commentator said, there's no moral defilement in her life. The husband should be able to see that despite whatever momentary struggles might rear their head at a point in time, when he looks at his wife, behind closed doors, her life looks different. It's not just that she goes to Bible studies, and it's not just that she shows up at church regularly, and it's not just that she volunteers to help out, and it's not just that she bakes a meal. It's when you take away all the trappings of the church, her life is different. And he sees it in a context that nobody else could. Her behavior is chaste, and it's also respectful. The word translated respectful is from a word that means fear. And I think in this context, what Peter is not saying, he is not saying a wife is supposed to be literally afraid of her husband. That's not the evangelistic part. What he should see is that she lives in a fearful way in relation to the one true God. She has a fear of God that permeates her life. The wife is living with a sobriety towards the God of the universe. She's living in fear, respect of the God that she professes to believe in. There's a phraseology in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. When it talks about sobriety, I'm just thinking about what life is really like. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each One may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. I didn't even finish the rest of it. But the point is that, is that she is living in such a way that her husband knows she's fearful of God. And the point is not that the wife goes around and tells the husband all these things. He just sees it by what she's doing. She's not having to walk around saying, look at me. I'm doing these things. You're not doing these things. You should feel really bad. That's not it at all. She's quietly just living out obedience. And her husband can't help but notice And don't miss what Peter's saying. He's saying this is the primary means of evangelism for a husband who's already heard the gospel. The most important thing for that husband is not for the wife to get him corralled into a meeting with five Christian guys that might work him over. (laughs) Or to persuade him to come to a Christmas program because she knows in the back of her mind he thinks it's music, the pastor's going to preach the gospel. None of those things are bad. Those are all good things. But those aren't the primary thing you should be concerned with. Now, I said before, this is hard. I know it's hard. I've seen countless women in counseling struggle with this. My interpretation of this doesn't change because of what I've seen in counseling, but my points of application are influenced by that. And what I have seen over and over and over again is situations where I believed the husband wasn't regenerated. Even if he professed faith, it was obvious from his life it didn't look like he had been born again. And as I'm counseling the couple who are having conflicts, who are having problems, 
what I'm trying to convince the wife to do, who I believe after meeting is genuinely saved, is put down your knives. Put down the boxing gloves. Stop fighting him. Start walking with the Lord. What did Jesus do when he was insulted? Did he spend his days insulting back? No, he didn't pick up that. He was reviled. You say your husband is treating you cruelly. He was reviled. What did he do? He didn't revile in return. He was suffering far more than you're suffering, but your life is hard. What did he do? He uttered no threats. Normally I'm saying this to somebody that they're fighting all the time. And it seems natural. Well, if he's arguing with me, I should argue back. No, stop it. Now again, I alluded to before, if there's ever actual physical violence, call the police. That's another issue. But just in the day-to-day, he's not nice. Come back to what Scripture says. You don't have to worry about arguing your husband into the kingdom. You don't have to badger your husband over and over to convince him that he's a sinner. You don't have to keep a running catalog of his offenses against you so that you can berate him over and over to tell him how miserable he really is. None of that's going to win him to Christ and that should be your ultimate motive. Again, I think it's really simple what Peter's saying here. Your husband's heard the gospel message at some point. That's enough for now. You live a different way. You show him a different way. I think chaste and respectful behavior that wins a husband by God's working, of course we understand it still requires the Lord to give your husband a new heart. You're praying for that constantly, but your life is supposed to be a part of that. should be reflecting the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Ladies, that's the goal for you, for how you treat your husband if he's not a believer. You treat him with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And you do that even if his behavior is the opposite of every one of those characteristics. You can look in Galatians 5 and see the deeds of the flesh, enmities, strife, outbursts of anger. Even if that's your husband, you live by the fruit of the Spirit. And this isn't a moment in time. This is how you have to prayerfully train yourself as a believer to live all the time. Even if he is a jerk. Even if he treats you unfairly, even if he is unkind and unloving and selfish and manipulative and vindictive, your ultimate concern is for his soul. And Peter is saying, in many circumstances, that type of husband can be won without a word when he sees chaste and respectful behavior in the wife. Now, Let me broaden it a little bit. That's the primary, even if some of them are disobedient. 
But wives are supposed to be submissive to their husband even if you're married to a believer. And everything I've just said about how a wife married to an unbeliever should respond is how a wife married to a believer should respond. Because if you're married to a believer, there's times he's going to disappoint you. There's times he's going to be selfish when he shouldn't be. There's going to be times when he doesn't put your interest in front of his own interest. There are going to be times when he is unkind, where he is angry, where he is unreasonable. And even if, believing wife, you are married to a believing husband, even if he's doing all those things, you have to respond in the same way, with chaste and respectful behavior. How can I be sure of this? Well, let me go ahead and drop your eyes down in 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. And I'm just going to go a quick time out. Husbands, all of this applies to you. But I'm going to berate us later. I'm not there yet. Not berate. That's a poor word. I'm going to exhort us. Doesn't that sound better? I'm going to exhort us later. But this applies to everyone. To sum up all of you, which means every wife, whether your husband's a believer or an unbeliever, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Again, this will apply to husbands. It does. But for now, as I'm dealing with this particular text, dealing with the duties of wives, don't miss it, wives. Even if your husband is a believer, this applies. In every aspect of your life. Not just when your husband is Dr. Dreamboat. Mr. Romantic and loving and kind and unselfish. When he is selfish and when he's not helpful. And when you're doing everything and when he doesn't lift a finger even though he should be able to see if he has any common sense that you need help. And when he's critical of things that you do and when he takes you for granted and when he doesn't speak kindly to you and when he's short with you and when he doesn't have patience with you and when he aggravates you and on and on in every circumstance, wives, God calls you to respond in a godly way. You are never justified in fighting back. Ever. Never returning evil for evil. Never insult for insult. In those instances, God's not calling you to let him have it. You're not the Holy Spirit. I don't mean that a loving wife in an appropriate manner can't ever rebuke a husband. Sometimes that's what our wives need to do for us. But it's not in a vindictive, well, yeah, you call me this, let me tell you. No, it's, honey, you're sinning against God, and I love you and I care about you. One of the hardest things there is for me to do is to listen to Debbie when she tells me I'm wrong. Partly because I think I'm always right. Actually, it's mostly because of my pride. But there have been many times over the years, 
I think of it mostly in relation to our kids where she said, Joe, you're wrong. But it's much more persuasive and I'm thankful for a godly wife when she pulls me aside and in a calm manner tells me that. It doesn't make me happy. And I normally defend myself and come up with 12 reasons why I'm right. But when God's working in my heart and I praise the Lord that He is, I'm normally on a path to ultimately go and apologize to one of my daughters. So, so don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying a wife can't point out sin. A wife should point out sin. In fact, I probably won't listen to hardly anyone besides Debbie. That's not a commendable thing. It just is the way I am. But I know of all the billions of people on the planet, God gave me a helpmate, and her name is Debbie, and I need to listen to her. So, wives, I'm not saying turn a blind eye to every fault, although you can turn a blind eye to many faults. But I am saying that even your rebuke or pointing out sin to your husband has to be done in a chaste and respectful manner. If you have a difficult husband, I'd encourage you to memorize Proverbs 15.1. I've given this out so many times in counseling. The reason I give it out so many times in counseling is one of the first verses I memorized as a new believer. Remember, I wasn't a pastor. I was a lawyer. Lawyers aren't generally a friendly group. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Godly wife, I can tell you, if you meditate on that verse, it will help you more than you can know. It's not the sum total of godly living, but it is the antidote for our initial knee-jerk reaction, which is, how dare you? Again, it's coming back to our own lives. Part of what I tell couples if they come to me for counseling as I try and be very clear if I'm talking to a wife I will tell the wife my goal is not to change your husband and I will tell a husband my goal is not to change your wife my goal is to help you walk by faith regardless of your spouse inevitably if you both walk by faith guess what most of the problems melt away and now we have a framework to deal with the problems But I know up front, if the goal of a wife in coming to counseling is so the husband will change, I am going to have a problem. Because God calls you to live obediently regardless of him. I can give counsel to show you how to walk with the Lord. And then that walk with the Lord is what God will use to work in the heart of that husband. I know this is not easy. And I know it can seem like I'm being harsh. I don't ever mean to be. I don't mean to be harsh to wives. I don't mean to be harsh to husbands and what I'll say in a few weeks. But what I want to do is sort of take all of us by the collars and shake us a little bit so that we understand, and particularly this morning, wives, the biggest problem you have is not your husband's behavior. No matter how bad your husband is, you can be godly.
I always come here because quite often women who are married to miserable men think, well, there's no hope. Yes, there is. It's right here. Even if they're disobedient to the Word, they can be won without another word from you by your chaste and respectful behavior. So we're not done with the marks of a godly wife, but I pray that the Lord will impress upon your heart, ladies, how you can do a self-evaluation. How you can find out whether you're living this out. I can't imagine being married to an unbeliever for 20 or 30 or 40 years. It's got to be very difficult. It's got to be a challenge. But God did not leave you without counsel or guidance or hope. Please join me as I close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, we know from the scriptures that Peter was a married man. We know that the words that he was inspired to write come from you, but they were written by a man who had a wife and no doubt understood the challenges both to live as a husband but also to live as a wife. Lord, I pray for every wife in this room. Some have gone through and continue to go through things that I cannot comprehend. Lord, I pray that you would use these scriptures to impress upon them that you know what they're going through. And you've provided them very clear direction on what to do. I pray for everyone married to an unbelieving husband that their lives would ultimately be used by you to win them to Christ. I thank you, Lord, for the many faithful women that I've been privileged to observe as a believer who have walked these very paths in difficult and trying circumstances. I pray for the women even that I know at Lakeside who have done this very thing. But I pray that you would give all of the wives grace. It's not easy to be obedient. Sinful husbands don't make obedience easy and Satan would love to destroy not just individual lives but marriages. So I pray, Lord, that you would help all of the wives in this room. And Lord, if there are people in this room who are not married, I pray that they would give good counsel to their children or to their grandchildren or to their cousins or their nieces and nephews or their brothers or sisters or even to their own parents. Pray that you would help them give biblical counsel if they're ever approached or ever have opportunity to offer insight. And Lord, even though this text was directed primarily to wives, I pray for the husbands in this room. I pray for each one of us 
particularly those of us who know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would help us live in such a way that we will not hinder our wives' obedience. But Lord, I pray that we will love our wives such that their obedience to you will be easier and more complete. Lord, we love you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.